Hey guys, Stephen Box, host of the Unshakable Habits podcast here, bringing you a couple of quick updates on the podcast. So number one, in the next few days, you guys are going to be seeing multiple episodes get released at once. We're talking maybe seven or eight different episodes, and I just wanted to give you a heads up about it. Don't be surprised when you see it coming. And the reason we're doing this is... We are changing the format of the show, and these episodes, while they are great, while the, ep- while the information in them is absolutely fantastic, they just didn't quite fit the new formatting. So I wanted to go ahead and still get those out so you guys have an opportunity to listen to them. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to be relaunching the podcast with a brand new focus and a brand new format. Now, it's still Unshakable Habits. We're still going to be focused on habits. We're still going to be focused on routines. But specifically, we're going to be talking about habits and routines that are going to help you create wins for your health, mindset, relationships, faith, and career. And we're going to be doing both solo episodes as well as guest episodes, but rather than one long episode, we're going to be breaking them up and we're going to do multiple episodes per week. And each episode is going to be about 10 to 20 minutes long. And it's going to be really focused on one specific topic where we can deep dive into that topic and give you guys actionable steps that you can take with you that day. So that is the big change that we have coming up for the podcast. And I just wanted you to be aware of it. And I look forward to hearing your feedback on it. You can, of course, always connect with me on social media at Unshakable Habits. It's going to be my handle in most places. And I would just love to hear you guys' feedback on the new format as it comes out. So with that, guys, allow me to remind you, as always, that while none of us are born unshakable, we can all become unshakable. What does a good relationship look like? Consolidate all of that into a, you know, a a refined vision or um, the one that the the exercise I love. I love this exercise and it's harsh, but I've done it with a couple of people. It's I want you to write the eulogy that you would like to have delivered about you. Welcome back, guys, to Unshakable Habits. I am joined today by the Widower's Wingman, Richard Strother. Richard, thank you for having me today. Oh, thank thanks you for joining me today, not having me. What am I talking about? <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I can follow the cues. <laughs> I listen. Any, anybody who's listened to my podcast long enough knows I leave mistakes in. I, I don't oh. try to cover it up. I don't try to be perfect because... Being unshakable is not about being perfect. Yep. It's about always striving to get better. And so we embrace those flaws and we just try to work on them. <laughs> right. uh, likewise. So I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so I'm really excited about our conversation because, number one, you're talking about something that I don't know of anybody else talking about it, honestly. And that is how do men who have been widowed move forward with their lives? Right. I think there's a lot of stuff out there for men in the immediate aftermath of this conversation. Right. Right after they've lost somebody, dealing with the grief, all that kind of stuff. Right. There's professional services out there for that. But once you kind of get to that next stage, once the, the grief cycle is kind of, you know, winded down and it's time to move on with your life, how do you do that? Because 
there's stuff out there for guys who maybe have gone through divorces, but I think there's a little bit of a difference because it's, it's a different type of loss. But that does bring me to the second reason I'm excited about our conversation today is because even as someone who hasn't actually been widowed, hasn't dealt with that kind of loss, they probably can still relate to a lot of what we're going to talk about today because maybe they have gone through a divorce or going through one. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they had a business closed down or they've had some loss in their identity of who they were. And all of those things are really about resilience and how do we bounce back from that and build ourselves back even better than what we were before. And I think a lot of what you're going to talk about today is going to be relatable to those topics, but we're going to look at this really through the lens of for widowed men and, and give them the tools that they need today. Yeah, definitely agreed. And, and it, it really is, especially even um, anything to do with identity, even a crisis of faith, you know, that's a form of loss too. Yep. Yeah, so, so many different areas that this can be applied. And that's one of the big things I always teach people is when we look at the frameworks that we use for coaching and things like that, and you're a coach also, so I know you know this, we don't focus necessarily on the specific skills until later in the process, right? Because the foundation, those frameworks, they can be applied in different areas. And once you get that solid foundation, now you actually have something to build those skills upon. Exactly. Exactly that. And it's so much about mindset too, like just really kind of where are you coming from and, and knowing yourself and being comfortable enough with yourself to go, yes, and this tactic will work because uh, there's this great, um, this is great analogy. It was a, a guy named Dove Gordon who uh, who talks about marketing helium, and he talks about um, you know you've got a red balloon and a blue balloon, and then you see you know the blue balloon floats, the red balloon doesn't. Well, you, I want a blue balloon. Well, it's not the balloon; it's what's in it, right? Yeah. It, it, it's what's 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 inside. So you know if you've got helium, you're gonna you're gonna float. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good analogy. I like that. Me too. I'm a big fan of that one. So for those who maybe are not familiar with you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your story? How did you get into being the widower's wingman? So um, I was with uh, my late wife for 20 years. We were married 10 of those years. And she, uh, the January after we were married, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. So there was nine years with that she almost made it to 10 years, or we almost made it to 10 years. But in that, we had a, she, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. So we had to go through the, the treatments and whatnot. And not, not a traditional kind of thing. It was a targeted treatment. So it's, you take a drug at home. It's, it's, you know, it's very kind of specific. It's managed. The condition is managed. But when she was diagnosed, it was already kind of spread. So it was a matter of this is about, it. This is about managing and maintaining, you know, and, and minimizing as much as possible. But no medicine is flawless. And after nine years, well, that's, you know, but we were always about living with intention and whatnot. And uh, she, she even got her master's degree after getting diagnosed, right? And then in 2018, October 2018, um, I lost Samantha. And, uh, you know, well, and to be fair, there's a lot of, I, I can talk a lot of, I talk a lot in, in different places about anticipatory grief as well. And that, you know, it was, it was a long running thing. So, you lose bits of the person before they, before their body gives out. But nonetheless, and I, 
I mean, I had a great support network. My family and my friends were amazing and they were really kind of, and I, again, I was always about living with intention and I had purpose. And so that gave me a leg up, which I, I can't, I can't stress enough the importance of kind of your identity and your purpose and having a sense of, you know, so I know I'm good in a relationship. I know that, you know, I'm, I'm better together kind of thing. So I started looking, I started looking at the dating scene and whatnot. And the more I looked, the more I found there's, first of all, very few resources for widowers at all. And there are a couple of really good ones, but there's better than it was, but there's still a limited number of resources for widowers. Uh, women tend to be more free to talk. And men, it's kind of, I don't want to because, well, I'm broken. Yeah. So all of this to say, you know, I, I was coaching in a different area and same set of skills, just different application. And at one point I was, I was having a conversation with a friend and they were like, I was like, I, I need to be making a bigger impact. I, you know, I can be helping the world in a better way. And we kind of got into this conversation, which led to an epiphany, which is, hey, you've been widowed and you've you know how the dating sites work. You know how all the psychology of it works and all that. So why don't you help other people kind of there? And I looked around and there's like three dating coaches that are specialized for, you know, people who are widowed at all. And so I started looking at that and I was like, you know what, this, I can, I can see really helping people, like properly helping people. Yeah. And so that the widower's ring went yeah, I, I love the fact that you kind of hit on the importance of the identities, right? Because one of the first things that I do in my coaching programs is we focus on vision. Mm-hmm. And, and what I always tell people, vision is, it's not this five-year plan, right? Vision is literally you sit down and you think about what do you want your future to look like? And, and you can literally go from the time you get out of bed to the time you go back to bed, and you can take yourself through an entire day. Who are you talking to? Who are you spending time with? What thoughts are going through your head? How does your body feel? How does it move? What activities are you engaged in? What are the places that you're at? All those things you can visualize. And yeah, thinking about, I want to be able to take trips around the world or drive whatever kind of car or whatever. Those things are great. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I try to get people to focus on is what are the everyday things? Right. And I think you touched on that a little bit too when when you said that in those nine years, there was a lot of focus on being intentional every day. Well, we were like that before the diagnosis too. We we believed in um and let's be honest, when you look at a terminal illness of any kind, you time your your framework for time becomes different, right? The the idea of, well, yeah, there's always tomorrow. You know, or we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll we'll do that this summer. Oh, well, the summer passed. Oh, we'll, we'll do it in a month or so. Oh, well, we don't really have the money. We'll do it, but no, no, no. If you if you if it's important to you, do it. Yeah, because yeah. let's be honest, our our brains are our brains are set. Right? It's it's we get whatever it is, and then it's like, okay, what's next? Yeah, we're we're, we're hardwired that way. You know, through evolution over how many you know. So yeah, it's kind of an important thing to go. Yep. This is, this is important. Let's do this. Yeah. I think even from a societal standpoint, right? Men, we are generally taught and basically, you know, it's ingrained in us to feel if you're not growing, if you're not doing something to get better 24 seven, 
then you're you're lazy you're slacking off you're you know that's that's just what society has taught us and to the point that a lot of times when i start talking to guys i mean this is somewhat off topic but i'm just throwing this out here real quick when i start talking to guys about the importance of recovery and resting they're just like what i can't afford to do that and you know the thing about it is guys when you start talking about relationships relationships aren't a checklist relationships require engagement they require connection and connection engagement require you sometimes to shut your freaking brain off and just be in the moment that is so true so true you know just the the idea of being present Mm-hmm. That that idea of okay yeah I know you're with the kids but if you're if you're worried about if your head's at the office you're not with the kids, yep. you know right and and it's okay to kind of take that moment and you know what put this on hold you know take the phone off the hook mm-hmm. you take your brain off the hook put it there and play with the kids and enter their world get back to the simplicity of it and there's something wild and valuable in that. <laughs> sounds like sounds like some some kids in the background over there. <laughs> no worries, no worries. So so talk to me, Richard, about what are some of the differences between? Because I'm I'm looking at this from the standpoint of three categories, and tell me if there if there's more here. Okay, but I, I kind of feel like when we start talking about loss in terms of relationship. Yes. There's there's divorce. Sure. Then there's a loss like what you had, which is, you know, something that happened over time. You knew that it was going to eventually happen. And so there was kind of a prep period for it, right? Yeah. And, and then the third kind is like when it's just a sudden loss. Right. W- what are the differences between those three things? Okay. So... Divorce is different from losing your partner in that the person is still around. If there's unfinished business, you can, I mean, obviously we don't, you or I would never recommend this, but you can hold on to that kind of grudge or you can say, you know, oh, it was all their fault or you can try that. I wouldn't recommend it, but right. you can, you can still kind of, the person's still there. In either form of the loss where the person dies, there's... There's also the, what we, what we refer or what my partner brilliantly refers to is the odors of sainthood, where, you know, you could have a guy who is a miser and a, a miserable bastard, and all of a sudden he dies and everybody's like, oh, he was one of the good ones. Nobody stands up and goes, no, he wasn't. He was an asshole. <laughs> no, we, we don't do that. You know, it's like, okay, no, we don't say anything. We go to no, respect it. Yes, we should respect it. The fact is, is if he was a miser and he was a miserable grump, then you're the miserable old grump. Let's acknowledge it, you know? Yeah. And, but th- you have to come to terms with not just your loss. Um, and let's be honest, when you lose somebody like that, it's not about just you either. It's about all the people around where you've now, you are now the connection point. So you've got to help them, you know, grieve the loss and whatnot. And it, your grieving is usually put off yeah. and delayed. And then... There's the life unlived. That's where I think the difference between the sudden death and the expected death comes, is that 
with the expected death, you kind of have time to process the idea of life changes and this is not the future. Yeah. Versus um, a sudden death where it's, I now have to grieve not only as a person, but the life unlived, the expectations, and now that's not it. And I didn't get to say my goodbyes or I didn't get to, you know, get that closure. Whereas with an expected death, you can usually have a moment or two of so really, really honest, lucid, you know, connection and kind of, you know, make your peace or at least say your peace. Yeah. And I think what you hit on there is important because there might be guys out there right now that are listening to this that haven't dealt with this, but they're in a, a relationship right now, maybe a marriage and they might miss out on the fact that now is the time, right? Now is the time to be engaged in those relationships. Now is the time to build that connection with your partner, because if something does happen, especially if it's something that is unexpected, if it's sudden, you don't get those opportunities to say your goodbyes. You don't get the opportunity to do that. And you can actually take step one of making this process easier to deal with if you ever have to deal with it by not having those regrets in the first place, right? Or not setting up the stage for those regrets. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to open up really, like I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the last conversation I had with Sam was nothing profound, right? You you would think it's this wonderful, you know, kind of, oh, and you know, I wish you wouldn't go and this and that. No, no. It was, she woke up in the middle of the night. She was like, I'm, I'm itching. Could you scratch my back? And I did. And, you know, it's like, she was, I was like, is that good? She was like, yeah. She goes, are you okay to, you know, are you comfortable enough to go back to sleep? She was like, yeah. And in the morning she never woke up. She, she kind of entered into, she entered into a form of coma. So that, those were the last words straight up, you know, and, and that's the reality of it. It's not, uh, it's not this, you know, kind of hallmark for me, a hallmark movie romantic moment, but. It's something that, you know, even until the end, we were there for each other. We were there kind of looking out yeah. for each other. Yeah. You actually, you sent me a video and I can't remember the, what the guy's name is right now. I'm, you, you can, I'm sure you can tell me because I have it pulled up somewhere, but it was, it was a TED talk. Drew Deadly, Everyday Leadership. Yes. Uh, yes. Drew Deadly, Everyday Love. Leadership. Love Drew Deadly. And I listened to it. I, I encourage everybody to go listen to it. I'll, I'll put the link to it in the show notes. It's only six minutes. It's very, very short. But, you know, he talked about how people feel like leadership is this big astronomical thing. And leadership is really about those small moments. And I think what you just shared there really hits home on that, right? Because it wasn't some grand gesture that you did for her. It was one of those small everyday moments. But I'm sure that she appreciated it just as much as she would have appreciated any grand gesture that you could have come up with. And and just a tip for the guys, by the way, um, at the moment that your partner or your wife or whoever falls in love with you, it's not the grand gestures. It's the little moments. It's that um, caress in the morning. It's that, you know, little, um, you know, I don't know, the, the pat on the back off to work or the, you know, that the hug when you get home or the, the it's the little everyday things that build up and build up and build up. And I could ruin the magic of it by saying it's all oxytocin, but you know, what? 
the fact is, is that it it's amazing. It's the little things, it's the little gestures consistently that make so much more impact than those big grandiose, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look at it, I, you know, I like to compare things that don't really seem to have anything in common, right? Because I think it helps people to start to connect the dots on this stuff. Yeah. If you were to say, I need to lose 50 pounds, and you took two different approaches. Approach one is you ate healthy meals 70, 80% of the time. You actually intentionally exercised three, four days out of the week. And you, you focused on managing your stress levels and you got good sleep and, and all those things. It might take you a while. It might not be as fast as you want, but eventually you will lose weight. Maybe you don't lose the entire 50 pounds. Maybe you do, but you, you will see results. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to do the big gigantic gesture. And so I'm going to eat nothing but salad, or I'm going to completely starve myself one day out of the week. And on that day, I'm going to exercise for four hours. You'll probably gain weight, right? Because you're sending the wrong signals to your body. You're not actually giving your body what it needs. You're actually taking away what your body needs and you're not giving it that nourishment because you've been depriving your body for an entire week and then you've tried to overdo it. Now, it's not the greatest analogy because when you do the grand gesture with your significant other, they are going to appreciate it. But what they would appreciate it even more is if you had been doing stuff the other six days. Uh, there's this wonderful parable, and I love this one, and I'll keep it as short as I can. There's these two Greek, um, two Greek guys who are on this, in a small town, and they're both like, no, no, I'm the strongest, no, I'm the strongest. And they, they, they had this competition going for years, and they've been you know, kind of going at each other. So they said, no, no, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a competition. In one year, we're going to meet here. And whoever can lift the bull over their head is the one who is, you know, we're going to declare the strongest. So the one farmer goes, grabs, you know, gets a full-grown bull, and every day he walks out of his house, he goes to the field, and he tries to lift the bull and fails. The other guy, the other farmer, goes and buys a baby bull. He can lift it. And every day he walks out of his house, and he goes, and he lifts that baby bull above his head. But sure enough, as bulls do, they grow. At the end of the year, guess who won that competition? The one who got the baby bull. Because he slowly built his strength up. Consistent action. Little 1% gains, right? 1% gains. These little gains. These little incremental gains. Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, when we start talking about this conversation, and I want you to kind of dive into this a little bit with some of the, the details, we'll call them. But... It's not about trying to put all this behind you at once, right? And I think for a lot of guys out there, one, one of the other things that we're told by society is that we got to solve all the problems and we got to solve them yesterday, right? So I think there's this tendency, especially because we're also a lot of times taught not to acknowledge our emotions and to kind of bury them, that when you have this kind of pain, you just want to go away as fast as possible. You want to check the box off and you want to, you want to try to get past it. And it's a terrible approach, right? Because it's just what we're talking about here with this grand idea of, oh, I got to go do all the stuff in one day. 
it's it's a process. So can you maybe take us through what that process is? I mean, obviously, you're not going to be able to give us every detail of the process here, but uh, if you can give us kind of a high level overview of what it looks like from the time you lose your partner to the time where, you know, you can start to get back out there. Okay. So broad strokes. Yeah, broad broad strokes, strokes goes like this. Um, you lose your partner. If it's sudden or whether it's expected or whatever have you, that's neither here nor there at this point. It's there's the immediate kind of rush. Everybody kind of rushes in, right? And then of course mm -hmm. you've got the the immediate kind of practical concerns, the you gotta do the the viewing or the you gotta do the funeral, the viewing, the arrangements and whatever whatever your culture decides, right? There's the funeral, the celebration, whatever celebration of life, whatever you want to call it, and that's that's great. That's okay, good. Afterwards, so then this is what I call the carnival. So the carnival comes to town, and everything is light and sound and movement, and it's it's craziness. Everybody's kind of um, you know around you, and you're you're just in a crowd all the time, um, even when you're not. And when you're not, it's so incredibly. And for those who've been there. The silence is deafening, if you catch my meaning, because it's just, it's too silent. And that, that one connection point or whatever that, that was your partner isn't there, right? Yeah. So now all of a sudden, that, okay, let's, that goes off. The carnival's still going, but now he's got new roles. Because in the relationship, you divide the workload, you divide the roles. Mm. Well, now the roles are all on you. So now you are, if, if you had kids, now you are also dad and mom, even if you have family stepping in to help, and I hope you do, but still it's a matter of you are the, the guardian. You have to, all of a sudden it's PTA and all of this and all the decisions and the, you know, that's on you. Meals, this, that, you know, again, maybe you have people to help and that'd be great. After a time, the carnival is over. And everybody kind of goes back to their lives. And then you're left with, okay, if you're intentional and you're kind of on, you know, you, you have the right mindset, you're going to take this time to grieve intentionally. You're going to say, I need to kind of evaluate where I am, what I can handle, what I can't handle. And there is a piece of advice that everybody's given, um, any social worker will give it um, after um, a major change, whether it's uh, a layoff after a long time, whether it's um, a death or anything like that, don't make any major decisions for one year, especially after a loss like this. And that's because um, if you have to make a change for financial reasons or whatever, that's one thing. But try to avoid any superfluous destabilization because then you can wind up, wind up out of the frying pan into the fire. And you don't want to kind of look up a year from now and then find out you're in a place that you'd hate uh, in a career that you don't really care about and, you know, there's no meaning, right? Yeah. So this is where so you kind of have... I, if I can, if I can yeah. pause you for one second, because I just yes. want to make sure, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So you're, you're saying that really, yes, there, there's a grieving in the immediate aftermath, but really it's going to be after the carnival ends, right? It's once everybody around you's kind of gone back into their normal life, it's when you're sitting there alone or maybe you just have like a couple of people around you that are still part of your support system but for the most part it's your things have quieted down that's really where your grieving process truly begins 
because it's now the point where you're not constantly being distracted by 70 million things. And that's where most people lose the plot because most people, most men, and this is very true of men, and we were talking about this before it, indirectly, this is where they try to fix things. Mm-hmm. And this is not a, you know, tape it down with duct tape and fire up the leaf blower type thing. This is, you know, we kind of have to start really making some serious decisions about what life is and what life should look like, but that's what we should be doing. Whereas a lot of us are trying to get back to normal and we pine for normal and it's, no, no, I need to get back to. And it, it's as harsh as it is to say normal's gone. It's, it's, it's just like a major injury. You're, you're never going to be exactly the same. That's not to say you can't come back better, but it takes the acknowledgement. It takes that time to rest, to recoup and to say, okay, what should normal look like? now. yeah. What can life be? What do I want life to be? And I love Mark Manson's, um, life isn't about having no problems. It's because there's always going to be problems. It's about having the kind of problems you like to deal with or, you know, are good at dealing with. Yeah. So that's where you kind of have to think, you know, okay. And then there's a certain period where you kind of have to adjust to this and you kind of get the idea. And then you will reach what I call the crossroads. And it may be quick. It may be long. Some people, it can take years, others, it takes months. But the crossroads is where you have this major decision. You come and you go, I have, I have time left on this earth. Mm-hmm. What do I do with it? Like, how do I get the most out of the time that I have? Yeah. Right? And again, um, career is all fine and good. That's fine. But you... A lot of men identify by their career, yep. and that is, um, if you have a if you have a, a monument built on one pillar, it's not a very solid monument, right? And yes, okay, maybe you have work, and maybe you are a dad. Okay, that's two pillars. Still not ideal. The more you connect with people, the more you have purpose, the more you have drive, the more columns you have, the more solid your identity. If one of those pillars crumbles or something goes wrong. So that's hugely important. Yeah. I don't know if I'm, I don't remember if you and I talked about this in the pre-interview, but what I coach people on is this idea of connected health. And what it does is it looks at health from the perspective of, yes, you have your physical health, but you also have mental health, emotional health, relationships, your environment, and then an existential, some people call it spiritual health, but it's really about connecting to something bigger than you. It's about having a bigger purpose in your life. And that's really just what you kind of hit on there is if you just bury yourself in work or you just bury yourself in completing the task list of being dad, then you miss out on those other areas of health. And when we do that, we suffer. We, we suffer physically, we suffer mentally, we suffer emotionally. And especially if you're playing the role of dad, guess what? That trickles down. They're impacted too. Yeah. And also too, let's be honest, it's you can't just be in the get or done or the checklist of being dad. This is where you really have to connect and you have to be able to help them, not just through the loss, but life. And it's a matter of really getting that connection and, and, you know, not just, okay, well, um, you know, I, I did my job and the kids are safe and now I got to go to work 
and they'll be safe. And it, it's not just about keeping your kids safe. And I don't know, I'm not a parent. Uh, Sam and I decided not to have kids. We, we didn't want, we, we wanted our impact to be different on the world. But the fact is, is that one thing that bothers me personally is when I see parents walking, like a um, perfect example, I was walking down the street uh, during the summer and there was this woman carrying her kid in a wagon, which is fine, you know, the kid's in the wagon. But the kid is on a busy street and a, and a promenade and he's there glued to a phone. I have I have an episode uh, that that you're gonna love. You'll probably want to share with some of your clients uh, that I recorded uh, a couple weeks ago. And so it's it'll probably be published by the time your episode comes out. Uh, but it's probably a couple months from now will be be published. But it was all about how do you help reduce screen time for for children. So I'll I'll, I'll have to remember to see the link for that one. <laughs> One thing I don't, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm big on is I'm not against screen time for kids uh, or, or adults for that matter, but it's about engagement, right? It's about that video games are fine if you're learning something, but and it doesn't have to be like this, you know, you have to play edutainment games. But, you know, are you learning something? Are, is, is this giving you something? Are you rewarded for this? Or is this just a dopamine fix? Is this just a, you know, feed that craving or disconnect from reality? Is it another form of alcohol to, or, whatever vice to get you away from dealing with life, yeah. right? And that's the difference. And I, I think with kids, and I love doing this with kids, it's like, cool, you just did this. How do you think that works? Or how can you think through this? Or what, what, what did you learn from that? Yeah. Yeah. And engage and talk about it. And, but I believe the same for television too, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when you, when you talk about, you know, doing things and, and kind of realizing the the way they can apply to other stuff, right? It's like I played a lot of video games when I was a kid. And because I, I grew up, I'm turning 45 this year. And so I grew up in that age where we didn't have that stuff. But then as I started being around like a teenager, we started getting like Atari and Nintendo and all that kind of stuff. And so I had lived in both worlds, right? And I can honestly say that a lot of my really good problem solving skills, a lot of my ability to focus in on stuff and pay attention to things actually comes from video games because, you know, nowadays video games are like more story-based and things like that. We didn't have story-based video games back in the day. We had stuff that was hard. Okay. Contra. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Contra. That's, <laughs> don't steal my life, dude. Come on. <laughs> So, but yeah, I learned a lot of skills from that. And I think somebody's out there listening. Oh, why are we talking about video games? Um, There's an entire it, book. But, I don't know if you know this. There's a book of philosophy through video games. And they actually use video games to explain like deep philosophical content, uh, yeah. you know, co uh, concepts. And I, I loved it. It was great. It was a wonderful read. I, I once gave a presentation somewhere and I talked about how a lot of people treat their life like a video game where it's this idea of if I go through the levels, if I make a mistake, I just start completely over. And I mean, now I know what mistake I made, I can fix it. And they're forgetting the fact that life doesn't repeat. It's not like a video game board. It's not going to be the exact same board every time, right? There's going to be differences. And that's really why we're having this conversation because it's so important to understand you have to start to develop certain skills. You have to start understanding things maybe outside of what you're currently doing, because if you're just trying to apply 
the level of knowledge that you currently have to experiences that you've never dealt with and you don't try to attain new skills and new knowledge, you're not going to get to the next level. You're not going to be able to proceed past that point. You're going to feel stuck. Exactly. It, that's exactly it. And it's, it's a matter of that, again, the, the concept of the new normal, right? Whether it's a divorce, whether it's a job, whether it's a, you know, it's not about, okay, we'll start over. It's like, well, no, because you're not the same person you were when you started the first time. It, there's, there's a roguelike element to this. It's a, you've got the skills. Yeah. <clears throat> you've got the skills. You know how to do this. Um, let's, you know, let's step it up. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you start to look at it, right, it's, it's a matter of, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier as you're, as you're going through this process. You get to a point where you've gone through the grieving and you've made the decision, you know what? I have to do something with the rest of my life here. What do I actually want that to look like? And it goes back to the conversation earlier about having a vision for your life, right? But at the same time, you're now entering uncharted territory. You're now entering into something that you're not familiar with. And this is where, you know, people like Richard are so valuable because he's been there, right? It's just like when I coach people, I don't coach people specifically on weight loss anymore. Right. I used to like way back in the day, but I don't really focus on that. I, I treat weight loss like as a side effect of doing the things you're supposed to do. But having been someone that was 80 pounds overweight, someone who knew what that was like, someone who understands what it was like to go from being massively overweight to someone who is in really great shape, I know what the transition looks like. I know what the struggles are going to be. I know what the roadblocks are going to be. I know the sticking points. And that's where, you know, someone like yourself that's actually been through this process is so valuable to, to men that are in this position. Exactly. And, and look, it's, it's funny because uh, a lot of guys, uh, you know, they, when I talk to them at first, they're like, well, I, I went on a dating site. I'm like, okay, can you tell me what a good relationship looks like? And it's, oh, well, I don't like this and I don't want that. And I, no, no, no. Don't, don't give me the, the Santa's list of things you don't want. What yes. does a good relationship look like? Consolidate all of that into a, you know, a, a refined vision. Or um, the one that, the, the exercise I love, I love this exercise and it, it's harsh, but I've done it with a couple of people. It's, I want you to write the eulogy that you would like to have delivered about you. Yeah. As much time as you need to, to live on this earth, but you've lived a full life and whatnot, what is the eulogy you would like to have? And how do you go? If that's your vision, if that's what you want, how do you get there? To move that direction. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, it's about making better connections. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I use a similar exercise, but I'm, I'm a little bit more blunt sometimes. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so... so what, what I do is I ask people this question. I go, so let's, let's say you've lived out your life and we're at your funeral and somebody goes up to speak and the only thing that they can positively think to say about you is he made a half a million dollars last year. Are you happy about that? Are you happy that that is the one thing that this person thought to say about you at their funeral, at your funeral? And they're like, well, no then why are you making that the most important thing in your life right now? Exactly. Yeah. 
So, you know, hammer, nail. You know. <laughs> nail, beat hammer, hammer, beat nails. Uh, I think one of the big things as well is, um, you know, yes, we that that drives the point home so beautifully that, you know, it's a matter of what do you want life to look like? It really is that. Um, and uh, I, again, I refer to Mark Manson because I really like this. He goes away. He talks about when he was a teenager and how he wanted to be a rock star. And he was like, no, no. He goes, I, I, I kind of came to a realization that I wanted all the fame and adulation and whatnot, but I wasn't willing to put in the work to get there. And this idea that there's a happily ever after, I, I'm, I'm big on stories and myths and whatnot, but yep. the happily ever after mythos, we got to get rid of this. We, we, chuck it out the window. Because again, there's no point where we don't have problems. And I, I, right. this, this kid stopped me in the, in the subway at one point and said, uh, hey, do you have any, you know, do you have any change? I've got money problems. And I was like, guess what? I have money problems too. Jeff Bezos has money problems. It's just a matter of scope. It's a matter yeah. of scale. It's, it's what money problems do you have and what are you willing to deal with? So I actually want to kind of rewind here a little bit because yeah. I want to give a, a tool here to people to use, right? Because I think one of the things that comes up a lot of times, especially when we're talking about loss of a loved one, is there is this period where people don't know how to help you, right? And so everybody comes to you and they go, if you need anything, let me know. Which I've been told by a professional therapist and, and such that this is absolutely the worst question that you can ever ask someone or the worst thing you can say to someone who's going through grieving um, because you're basically putting all the responsibility on them. Hey, you figure out what you need and then you let me know. Um, so the, 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 the toned down day-to-day -day equivalent is when somebody goes and goes, hey, we should go out for dinner. Okay, well, what do you feel like eating? And then it's the, what do you, what do you feel like eating? What do you feel like eating? What do you feel like eating? Yeah. It puts the onus on them. The, the grieving per the grieving man, the grieving woman, the grieving man doesn't know why yeah. it's because they don't have the capacity to think ahead. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with stuff as it comes. So the best thing you can do for them is identify something. And the most practical things are usually the best. And, and I'm talking, if you, have, if you know somebody who's grieving, because you all know a widower, I guarantee you, you know a widower and you don't even know who it is, but get them out. Yeah. And it's, it's not all about that. When you have a terminal illness, you want days where you can just go and forget about it. I mean, you know, yeah. that's why they have, you know, getaways for cancer, for cancer patients or retreats for cancer patients. Yes, they have the days of dealing with it, but then when you go, for, once that session is closed, you don't think about it for the rest of the time. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and the tool that I want to give people, you know, because we may have people listening that maybe they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can be more specific about the things that I can do for somebody that I can actually help somebody with. And even if you just say, hey, look, here are some of the things that I'm really good at. So if any of that would benefit you, let me know. Right. You, you can go that route with it. And I mean, you're because I understand you may not know exactly what this person needs, but you can at least help narrow down and they can at least see. So if the situation comes up and they go, you know what, I need somebody that can do this. They now know you're that person. Right. But I would also say for the person is going through the grief. 
right? Because that's probably who's listening to us today, probably not necessarily the other side of it. So if someone comes to you and asks that question, right? And, and please, if you have anything to add to this or if I'm totally off base, let me know. But my thought is, if you look at that person and you say, if you could let me know specifically what skills or what things you have that you feel like you can help me with, that would make it a lot easier. I would even go a step further and say you have to be even more proactive. I say I think what you what you've got is great. I would say you'd be even more proactive. It's what are the day think about your own day to day, right? What are the things you okay, does the house need maintenance? It's a thing for all of us, right? Does does your place need maintenance? You could ask them, is there anything not working in the house? If you're a handy person and you want to help that way, great. Um, do you need a lift somewhere? Do you need company? Everybody's got a grocery shop. Hey, man, I know you're going to have to do groceries at some point. You want to go together and we can talk while we're, we can talk and walk. Yeah. Gets you out, change your scenery. Um, that's important for people who are grieving or for people who have lost, even if you've lost a job, a friend saying, hey, let's go, let's walk and talk. Yeah. It's big. Um, if they, if you know they're into fishing, for God's sakes, just get out there for one day. It doesn't have to be a big excursion. doesn't have to be a week-long trip. Just get them out. Get them day-to-day um, -day considerations. You know, are you, you know, uh, hey, let me bring you out for dinner. Or let me come and cook you dinner. If, it's, if, if you're into cooking, hey, man, I, I imagine you're probably tired of lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> let me cook you. Let me cook you a meatloaf or something different. Or... All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question, and if the answer to this right now is no, then I might be putting some work on your plate. <laughs> so I apologize for that. I'm gay. But, Bring it. But, but but do you have right now anywhere a list of things that if if a man is is recently gone through this, or maybe they're, they have in a situation where they have a partner who has had a terminal illness and they're in that prep stage, so they know it's coming. Do you have a list anywhere of some of the common things that they might need afterwards so that when people do ask this question, they can, they at least have a list of things that they can look through and go, you know what, these are the things that I feel like I might need. You know what? Challenge accepted. No, I don't have that list. But you know what? But by the time this episode airs, it, go to the resource website or go to the resource page on my website. I will I will make sure to put up a list one of the things, if you have a terminal, uh, if if you know somebody who's terminally ill or whatever, um, is to have a go bag. Yeah. Because you never know when an ER visit is coming. You never know when you're going to go to the hospital. And by God, you've never wanted an extension cord and a phone charger so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just these are the things that people just don't think about, right? Okay, and and it's, it's amazing how much you don't. Yeah. And so especially in that moment where... You know, things are at their worst. That's that's not the time you want to try to be level-headed and be thinking about things that you need. Like, that's, that's not the time for that. So true. So true. All right. So in, in the last, like, 10 or so minutes that we have here to talk, I want to dive into the situation for those guys that they've been through all this already. They've, they've gone through the grieving. They've, they've had their year or whatever to kind of recover. And they're at a point now where they feel like maybe I'm ready. Did, I, I don't know if any guy ever know 100% can say, I know I'm ready, but maybe they feel like they might be ready. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, what, what are the steps for them? The next steps anyways. 
Okay, first things first, the unplanted seed never never blossoms or the unplanted seed never never grows. Um, if you're waiting for your life to be perfect or I'll do it when, no, no, start now. Really take a minute, take a few minutes, take an evening, think about how much you're willing to invest. I'm not just talking money because there will be some money involved, but time, how much time are you willing to invest? How much effort are you willing to invest? How much time can you commit to this? Mostly because at the beginning, dating sites don't take that much time or effort, but as you start meeting people, you're going to have to devote some of your attention. And that was one of the mistakes I made early on, is that I was divided between my career and you know building my business and the relationship. And it was a long-distance relationship, and she wanted a lot of attention. And that's not a bad thing. It just didn't work for what I was willing to invest. So that was a, you know... That was a problem. And so be, be clear about that. Um, you know, it, that's that's kind of what I do, right? And also to be, as much as possible, be clear about what a good relationship looks like and what an ideal partner could look like. And for God's sake, I, I use a list check, I use a checklist system, but I make you boil it down. I make you distill it. Um, yeah. And that's important because you don't want to be going into a date with a checklist and then going, oh, well, she didn't meet these three. So how many opportunities are you going to miss out on because, you know, you're because of some superfluous thing that you thought of to put on a list? How important is it really? So, I mean, it's really important to know what you're looking for. And then you can start figuring out which sites have the type of people you're looking for, right? Don't just jump to the first site. Oh, well, they're free. Great. How yeah. well does free work for you? More often than not, you know? Yeah. There's a cost somewhere. There's a catch somewhere. So. Yeah, and I think... As you mentioned that, right, this idea of, you know, you're creating this checklist and, you know, it can be tempting to miss out on an opportunity because that person didn't check that box or, or whatever. Or you end up in a relationship that's not working because they checked off a box just because you thought it was going to be important. Exactly. Um, something I think that that comes to mind for me that I imagine happens, too, is there's a comparison. Yeah. So the, the the big thing before you even get into that, I mean, this is, for me, it's part of the, well, I suppose it's part of the grieving process, but maybe it's not. Um, the other thing for you is that you, um, you have to decide who you've become, but also how you choose to integrate and honor the person you've lost. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a matter of how did they make you better? What What did they give you and how can you live life in a way that celebrates their contribution? How can you celebrate them in the way you live? And, or how do you, you know, honor them or, you know, what you tribute to them? Um, and that I think is a huge thing. I work with people on that because that's a, a big one to go, okay, I am better this way because of them. So how can we, you know, how, how do I, how am I different? And by honoring that, then it's a matter of, no, there is no comparison. And Please, please don't compare your relationships. It's not worth it. It's like trying to compare yourself to somebody else for success. It's you can only compare yourself to yourself. Yeah, and one thing that I've had a couple of conversations with people about relationships here on this podcast, and something that I talked to about clients a number of times is you can only control one party in a relationship. 
and it's the guy that you see in the mirror, <laughs> right? That's that's the only person you have any control over. So I, I, I'm glad you that you said that because yeah, I, I imagine that's something that people naturally do, right? They look for someone who has some of the same traits they loved in their previous partner. And while they may share some traits, there might be some things they do differently. And I imagine it is a rather slippery slope the moment that you uh, start trying to get somebody to become someone that they're not to match this other person. And also, too, um, that goes to the mirror side of that. And it's important to know is, nor should you be trying to change to accommodate somebody else. It, that's why a lot of what I talk about is is being authentic, 100% authentic. And uh, dating bios, I mean, guys, if you have a dating bio, for God's sake, fill it in. Do it right. If you need help, let me know. Um, but your dating bio is the brochure by which people will you know, engage in the experience. And if your brochure sucks, they won't go for the experience. And if the experience doesn't live up to the brochure... That's where the consistency comes in, right? We were talking a lot about consistency earlier. Those little moves that build trust, that build consistency, that deepen the connection. Huge gains. Huge, huge gains. Yeah. By being and I think, you know, um, you actually have on your resource page or actually on your media page on your website, um, you've done a number of podcast interviews. And I think we maybe took a little bit different direction than what your interviews normally take. Which I enjoy. Uh, so, yeah, which is good. Yeah, it gives you a chance to say something different, right? Exactly. Uh, but but if someone wants to kind of hear a little bit more about once you kind of get back into the dating scene and, and the dating apps and your bios and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure you do talk about that on a lot of your other interviews. So I would encourage people to also check those out and, and, my and YouTube channel. To hear more. And of course, reach out to you personally. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I put out a YouTube video every week, you know, practical tips and stuff like that. So by all means, check those out too. And I'm having more fun creating them and, and it's great. And, and soon there will be a new resource on the page. Thanks to uh, our uh, idea here today. So that was, and, and I will put the, uh, the, the, the checklist or the, yeah, I'll definitely put that on the, the resource page. I think that's a great one. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so Richard, if someone wants to connect with you, whether it's just kind of following you on social media or if they want to go ahead and reach out to you and get some one-on-one -on -one coaching, what's the best way for them to do that? The easiest way to reach me is thewidowersingman.com. Um, it's, it's easy. Um, that page, you can, there's a, um, a button to book a free call. It says 45 minutes. I have to put something in for the system. If we need more time, we're going to take more time. We're going to do this right. And honestly, um, from the website, you can go and see all the podcasts I've been on, um, all the media I've been on, the YouTube videos are, uh, you know, are available through there too. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Widower's Wingman if you want. Um, and you can reach out to me there. I'm, I'm totally open to that. I'm not super active on that one, but I, I'm still put up a thing here and there. And okay. yeah. Awesome. Wait, guys, you know, I've, I've had a chance to have two conversations with Richard now because we do the uh, the pre-interview stuff as well. And what I can tell you is he really understands this process and he's really good at being able to take his own experience and not just try to template out to you to say, do exactly what I did, but look at your individual situation and help you figure out a path forward. Um, I've, I've picked that up just from our conversations uh, that we've had. So 
highly encourage you. I know a lot of times when people say, oh, you know, book a free call, you know, people are very hesitant to do that. They're, oh, I'm just going to get sold or whatever. And I, I don't think that that's going to be the case with Richard. I think he's going to, just like he has here today, give you really great insights. He's going to talk to you and give you a process. And then if you feel like at the end of that call, like, hey, you know what, this all sounds good, but I feel like I need some help, then yeah, he's going to have some services that you can purchase. But you're not going to get just like, it's not a, it's not a fake sales call. <laughs> that's, what no. I, that's what I want to you know, highlight to people. Uh, you know, it, it's really important. I just want to get to know who you are and really what's the best way to help you. And if yeah. I'm not it, I'm going to help you find the right resource. But if I am it, then let's let's find a way to make this work for you. I'm, I really, you know, yes, money's nice, but I'm I'm people first. Yep. Well, awesome, man. Really appreciate you uh, coming on today and, and sharing your your insights here. And I love the fact that you are doing something that not a lot of people are doing, um, because it's an area that men who are going through this really need that support and. It's unfortunate that not enough people are doing it. And I know even with like therapy and things like that, that a lot of times I hear from men that they don't feel like they're understood in therapy. And so having another man like yourself who has actually gone through this experience to chat with is such a huge thing for a lot of these guys. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I'm here for. I mean, I really do want to help. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, guys, just want to remind you, as always, that none of us are born unshakable, but we can all become unshakable. Thank you for listening to the Unshakable Habits podcast with Coach Stephen Box. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and help us spread the word by sharing the podcast with other men. If you're ready to create unshakable habits, you can learn more and connect with us at unshakablehabits.com.